Welcome to the Honest Labor Podcast, where we look at life lessons through the lens of woodworking. This is episode one, Prelude to Perfection. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. I'm pretty excited about this article today. I think it's going to be a good conversation. What's it called, Murray? It's called Ancestral Voices. So for tonight, I chose an article written called Down to Earth. It portrays craft, specifically woodwork, to, to be a grounding activity for people. All right, welcome everybody to the Honest Labor Podcast. Here we are for the episode entitled Spring Tonic. Marty, Paul, you guys ready for spring? Yeah, it's here. So ready. It, we're being, we've been getting teased. Yeah? And I like it. Yeah? And uh, I don't know about you guys, but this winter has felt exceptionally long. Mm-hmm. I don't think I remember snow lingering on the ground as it has this winter in a very long time. No, totally. I mean, normally it's seven days, melts, it's gone. Mm-hmm. It feels like spring's here. We get another dump. Seven days. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've felt that rhythm, I felt, for like the last couple of years. But this one, I mean, it was a month and a half for us that we had snow on the ground, which was a little bit of a change. Yeah, and the secret of Colorado is the winters are actually pretty nice. Yeah, but don't tell the secret. <laughs> don't, don't, no one knows that. Yeah. So I picked this one, Spring Tonic, because I was feeling some of the winter blues, and I thought it might be a good thing for us to all talk about. So I'm going to just go ahead and read right from the beginning, and then we're going to jump into this. As we emerge rather battered and jaded from winter into the longer and lighter days of spring. Yeah, baby. We are apt to feel the need of a tonic. Winter, even a comparatively kindly one, has a way of sapping one's energies. We get to be a little too literally under the weather. Do you remember Kipling's prescription? Do you guys know who Kipling is? I don't. As in Rudyard Klimpy? As in Rudyard. I wasn't sure if it was Rudyard or Rudyard. Rudyard. Rudyard from where I come from. (laughs) Rudyard. Yeah. I don't know any Rudyards to compare with. But what did he What right. did he write? Uh, Jungle Book, right? Mm. Mm. Indeed, the Jungle Book. Yes. He, he wrote a lot, and a lot of what he ended up writing ended up becoming somewhat controversial. White Man's Burden? Yes. Yep. Yes, that yeah. type of controversy. Right. Um, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, being... A writer. A writer. And an anthropologist as well. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's, so, all, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, for real. Yeah. Uh, we studied, like, the white man's burden and how that was. Well, it's a colonial mindset. Yeah. For sure. Totally. So definitely not um, not something we consider today to be modern thinking. Right. Because I think that he was born and raised, at least for a bit, in colonial India. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds right. Well, Jungle Book, right? Yeah, uh-huh. exactly, exactly. Is that eighteen hundreds? <clears throat> I think late eighteen hundreds. Okay. Early late eighteen, early nineteen. All right. Yeah. I think. Uh, let's see here. I've got his Wikipedia page pulled up here. He died in nineteen thirty-six. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. so far, I think we haven't told any lies. Anyway, <clears throat> do you remember 
Kipling's prescription. The cure for this ill is not to sit still or froused with a book by the fire, but to take a large hoe and a shovel also, and dig till you, till you greatly perspire. Did any of you guys happen to look that up? I didn't. No. Oh, it man. It makes I, sense, though. <laughs> I did. And it comes from a poem. A longer poem. Would you guys care to listen? Sure. sure. It's called The Camel's Hump is an Ugly Lump. lump. <laughs> the Camel's Hump is an Ugly Lump. All right, here we go. I'll go through it fast. The camel's hump is an ugly lump, which well you may see at the zoo, but uglier yet is the hump we get from having too little to do. Kitties and grown-ups too, if we haven't enough to do. We get the hump, camellia's hump, the hump that is black and blue. We climb out of bed with a frowsily head, a snarly, yarly voice. We shiver and scowl, we grunt and we growl at our bath and our boots and our toys. And there ought to be a corner for me. And I know there's one for you. When we get the hump, camellia's hump, the hump that is black and blue, the cure for this ill is not to sit still or frost with a book by the fire, but to take a large hoe and a shovel also, and dig till you greatly perspire. And then you will find that the sun and the wind, and the gin of the garden too, have lifted the hump, the horrible hump, the hump that is black and blue. I get it as well as you, if I haven't enough to do. We all get the hump, camellia's hump, Kitties and grown-ups, too. I like that. So, man, I mean, we truly probably could spend an entire podcast just sitting here dissecting and analyzing this poem in and of itself. But there are a lot of things here that I do want to tease out. One of the first ones is that he says and says... Several times. Kitties and grown-ups, too. And I think that he was showing a degree of apathy. Not apathy. Empathy. Excuse me. Those are kind of opposites. Empathy. (laughs) And vulnerability. That all of us are susceptible to kind of getting the blues. Right? I know I am. Mm -hmm. And... We probably are going to talk about depression to a degree here in this episode. And I don't feel like I am qualified, quite honestly, to talk about depression. Uh, uh, I suppose primarily because I've never been clinically diagnosed Mm -hmm. with anything. But I've been down in the dumps, I can tell you that. And one of the things that I feel that I can say with certainty is that everybody has and kitties and grown-ups too. Um, do you guys know the acronym SAD? Seasonal Affective Disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Would you would you guys say that you guys suffer from that? I feel like most people do in in some degree exactly. during, during the the colder months where we don't have much sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. Like just this past week, you know, that now we have another hour of daylight after work. I think it's been great. It's like, I didn't have to drive over here in the dark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally. Go biking after work. But yeah, I, the, the seasonal depression, it's, 
It's a real thing. It's yeah. a it's a real thing, and I argue it affects everybody. Absolutely. When we kicked off this episode talking about how this has been a particularly difficult winter, there was moments this winter where I was definitely feeling pretty down mm-hmm. and just in a funk, mm-hmm. and absolutely would pin that on on the season, mm-hmm. this particular season. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think whether you are aware of it mm-hmm. and in are tuned to like why you're feeling that way, that might be another question mm-hmm. altogether. But mm-hmm. yeah, how can you how can you not be affected in in some way, shape, or form? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I personally, I mean, I really like. I'm certainly an outlier on this. I think from from everyone I've talked to, but like when the time first changes and it gets super dark, super early. Like, I love that because I'm a night person. So, really? yeah. Oh, I oh, love gosh. it when it gets so dark. But <laughs> maybe I just like the change, you know, because now this past Sunday was the time. I, get, I don't know if it's daylight savings or wh- whichever one it is, but it's back to being yeah. late, yeah. light late again. And I'm so happy about that. So, yeah. you know, I think the seasonality, the ebbs and flows are good. And... You know, that's one thing I think that goes unrecognized, or at least I'll say, speak for myself in that, like, you know, it's it's impossible, nor what I would would want to have, like, everything be on high all the time, you know, because the only way you appreciate when you're happy is when you're not so happy, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it comes and goes, and mm-hmm. I think that that ebb and flow is really important mm-hmm. to appreciate all feelings, all seasons, you know, and and so that's an okay, it's an okay thing. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I mean, to appreciate the sunny days, you've got to go through the rainy days, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it's nothing new. I, I feel like people have been telling each other that for generations, right? Mm-hmm. And remind me, telling each other that. And encouraging each other is something I want to come back to. So don't okay. don't let me forget. All right. Okay. That's a, that's an important thing that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the stanzas in the poem, when he says, "We climb out of bed with a frowsily head," which is a funny word anyway, and a snarly, yarly voice, we shiver and scowl, we grunt and growl at our bath and our boots and our toys. I think that what he's talking about there is, is in these seasons of depression whether or not it's in the winter or, or, or not, right? Mm-hmm. We're just in the blues. All of a sudden, we just start getting mad at things, mm-hmm. right? I stepped on my son's shoe because it wasn't <laughs> quite in the right spot, and I got pissed off, right? Or my dog paws on the door to go in and out a bajillion times a day, which is what she always does, but I'm pissed off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, you, you, you're just on edge, right? It's like that little tinder box where you get in the blues and then just everything is not good. Yeah. I mean, in a more acute sense, like if I've had a rough day at work and I'm going to come home, mm-hmm. I'm kind of on edge. Yeah. And any little thing would set me off. Right. But then you talk about it being more seasonal and mm-hmm. it could be days weeks even months or more on end you know then it's just that's like a persistent state and uh 
And it's hard then because it's you can't necessarily as easily address it if it's been going on, I feel like. You know, but that being said, I'm sure we'll get into this, um, the prescription and all is it really once you do kind of get your head changed around, it is amazing to look back like if you've been stressed out or on edge or mad or angry or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're like actually feeling pretty good again, something might have happened you know, in your life that was like turning things around. And then you like look back and you're like, did anything really change? Or am I just like have a different frame of mind right now? And it's always easy in retrospect because when you're in the thick of it, sometimes it's just like, I just want right. to be mad. I, li- I like being mad right now. <laughs> like don't Rage. make me feel better, <laughs> you know, honey. But, uh, but, but it, uh, it is again, always um, interesting to look back and be like, it was just a change in perspective and that's all it took to to make everything feel different. So I yeah. totally agree with that. And here's a question for the both of you. At what point in your life would you say you got to the point that you realized that you could choose your attitude? Eh, probably in the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it takes a bit of maturing and experience in life to, mm-hmm. to like, come to that, um, that realization. Yeah, I think it takes like yeah maturity and like responsibility too. Yeah. I, it makes me think of a friend of mine who told me at one point we were probably in our our mid to late twenties, all starting to you know get good jobs and you know, have the responsibility of those jobs on our shoulders. And he told me, and I suppose this may be, you know, cliche now, but it's like the difference between a amateur and a professional is the ability to control your emotions. Hmm. And that always stuck with me because even when I started construction, um, I remember getting like super mad at the materials you know, something would happen and I'd like throw a piece of wood or I'd whack something with my hammer. And then you realize it was just you. Yeah, just me. And some of the more experienced... That 2x4 didn't do anything. Yeah, that 2x4 was bent the second I picked it up. So I can't blame it for being bent. And some of the older guys on the job site have been doing it for a long time. I remember them just being looking at me and be like, tranquilo. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. And I haven't... I don't think I've gotten mad at a two by four in, in a while now, so maybe. I'll... Now you learn to leave the bent ones for the other guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Sign them first. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Preparation is key. But yeah, I think ultimately, as we go through life, we we realize that it takes too much energy to get mad at things. It's way more efficient to just, you know prepare properly what's that like somebody this excavator told me it's like five or seven p's is like proper planning prevents piss poor performance mm-hmm. oh wow that's a good one yeah. mm-hmm. and uh you know i think the thing that's just it's so true mm-hmm. totally yeah. agree in answering my own question I, I agree with kind of similar to your answer paul on the last i don't know seven or eight years of really realizing that that you do have the ability to choose your attitude to to try to maintain control of your emotions regardless of what's going on 
in your environment or what season it is. But it doesn't make it necessarily easier, mm. I, I would have yeah. to say, for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, just just kind of purely thinking about this winter. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm blessed to have my wife, Allison, to be able to say, I'm so sick of the snow. I want to go ride my bike. Yeah. I can't go ride my bike yeah. because it's icy and slushy and muddy. And then the minute it dries out, we're going to get a rainstorm and all the trails are going to be closed again. Right? Yeah, and just, tonight. Exactly. <laughs> tonight. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I don't know if you're getting at this, but I think it, what I just took from that is, is that it's nice to have a partner who you can throw things back and forth with. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that you necessarily like kind of balance out your partner. So if like I'm feeling down oftentimes like my wife will be you know there and and take the opposite you know approach of like here's a positive right or vice versa and i think that that helps you know with the with the finding Mm -hmm. finding a kind of a a balance and a and a for sure baseline to work with yep yep i totally agree and again that's something we'll come back to other people one thing I wanted to say too, um, like in relation to something you just said, was about maybe just the control aspect and controlling emotions. I think that I've been reading a lot of uh, like Stoic philosophy lately, and one of the main tenets of of Stoicism is that you need to focus on the things you can't control and ignore that which you can't. And we cannot control the things that happen to us. We cannot control so many you know, circumstantial you know, things that happen in our lives. What we can control is, is how we respond to them, which I feel like is exactly what we're talking about. But if you break it apart into what we do have agency over versus what we don't, I think right. that makes a really clear mm-hmm. cut line that we can put our energy toward. Yeah. Like spheres of influence and spheres of control. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's at least the concept from that seven habits of highly effective mm-hmm. people where mm-hmm. so often the times we get so engrossed um, in what we're interested in as opposed to what we have control over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last couple things on this poem, and then we'll move on. One, did you guys notice what color the the hump was when I was reading it? Do you, do you remember? Black and blue. Black and blue. Mm. It's like a bruise. That's exactly where my mind was. <laughs> it's like a bruise. Okay. Yeah. A mental bruise. And it hurts yeah. physically, right? And bruises depending on where they're at sometimes can be shameful too I've never been punched in the eye I've never had a black eye but I have busted some teeth out before (laughs) yeah on my mountain bike (laughs) and I had like a chipped tooth right and I was embarrassed I, I would subconsciously pull my hand up over my mouth every time I was talking to somebody because I didn't want them to see. And I don't know, I I, I think that this may be some of 
what Rudyard was trying to get at with giving a color, not only once, but several times throughout mm-hmm. the poem, of what this hump was. <clears throat> um, and I think the other thing about a bruise, too, sometimes you can bruise yourself, but a lot of times the bruise comes from outside forces, too. And I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it's not 100% your responsibility for the way that you're feeling, the way that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think about, like a mental bruise versus something that is like a black eye, is that it's, you know, black eye, chipped tooth. Yeah. Everybody can see that. Yeah. It's very apparent. Right. And the camel's hump. The camel's hump. It's, you know, maybe there's some guilt or some embarrassment there, or some shame there. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that it's worse when that bruise is invisible. Yeah. Because then it's not something that people are aware of. You're aware of it. You become more self-conscious of it. And it just like festers in a way. Right. That's something that's visible wouldn't necessarily because you can't hide it. Man. And... And that goes back to what I was trying to get at a little bit earlier when he says, I get it as well as you if we don't have enough to do. We all get the hump, camellia's hump, kiddies and grown-ups too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just being very transparent, this happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. We all feel awful sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important to figure out ways to to get over that hump let's talk about it all right we've, we've talked a lot about the problem yeah. let's start talking about the cure i know that um hayward talks a lot about craft in the article yeah. i think a, a more immediate type fix is just go exercise like hit the treadmill go get on the bike like if i'm mm-hmm. if it's night if it's somewhat nice out i can bike yeah and i'm feeling crappy if I go for a really hard mountain bike ride, I'm so much better afterwards. It's just such a mental boost. Or going to the gym and getting on the treadmill, or, you know, something like that. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally wild. Um, I completely agree. And there's this other podcast that I was listening to before talking about all of the mental benefits associated with exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to attempt to try and repeat all of the different endorphins and dopamine and whatever, the, the, the mix that's going on in your brain, but there's something crazy that takes place that makes that feel good feeling. And it's like, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Marty, do you work out? <laughs> I can put you on the spot. Uh, in a word, no. Um, I I like to get out skiing. Yeah, and and do some things like that. But um, if nothing else, what I do like to do is just go for a walk. Yeah. And while I may not be perspiring on these greatly, walks, greatly perspiring, greatly perspiring, um, being being centered in the body and being physical mm-hmm. in that way is enough to even start to appreciate some of these benefits. Well, I mean, sure. Like just getting outside. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
the interesting thing as I was looking through that seasonal affective disorder, the first things that come up are go outside and get sunlight and exercise. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Those are literally the first yeah. things that come up, right? It's just harder to do when it's it, crummy out. It yeah. is harder to do. It is harder to do. It's cold. It's wet. Yeah. It's humid and cold, which yeah. It's windy. Like you can make all the excuses in the world. Right? Last last week, I uh, got a phone call. It was like maybe four p.m. My, one of my good friends called me up and invited me to go skinning up a basin, and uh, it's kind of late in the day. Katie and I are like, I don't know if we want to do it, but we did it, and you know, we went with a group of people, and it was good. You know, we skinned up a mile and a half, like uh, we got a lot of vertical feet, and it was it felt good. That's and, awesome. Yeah, but it was cold and um, windy up there, but it was nice to be out. Outside. So let's let's pull on some of these threads. Then there's probably somebody that was a driver saying, "Let's go do it." Yeah. Who was that? Oh, it was like in our household, it was me. I was like, okay. we should go. We should go. Yeah. And I didn't even really want to go, but I was like, I know. I know we should go. So <clears throat> let's talk about this a little bit. What actually, why do you, why did you know you had to go? Well, I knew it, we would feel pretty good afterwards. We hadn't seen our friends in a while. Yeah. Because... You know, everyone's in the same boat. You know, it's winter time. We're not nearly as active. Yeah. And uh, um, and we had, uh, you know, it, it was easy just to sit on the couch and watch a movie that night. But <laughs> I was like, we should go. You know, it's it's not like we have to wake up for something really early in the morning. Yeah, was everybody pretty jazzed afterwards? Oh, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We had, there were probably six, I think six or seven of us that went up. Totally. So... Where, where I want to kind of go with this conversation here now is the importance of encouraging people to pick up the shovel, the proverbial shovel. Mm-hmm. And I talked a little bit before about my wife. She encourages me. And so this winter, I can come up with every excuse under the sun why I shouldn't go outside to the garage and get on the bike trainer. But she shoots holes in those excuses and does a good job of tactfully and delightfully making me feel bad. (laughs) And then I go do it. A little bit of guilt. (laughs) And then I feel good. And I'm thankful. Like when you were training for that big bike race last year. Yeah, totally. Like she's... She she has been that driving force, and I I look back on Rudyard's poem and him overtly encouraging others and laying out what the prescription is, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that first off, depression no matter the severity, can be kind of a sensitive tub subject to talk about with anybody. And <clears throat> before, if you're, if you're not really able to, to bring that up, it might be difficult to start talking about solutions, per se, especially without coming off as 
condescending or pushy or mm-hmm. cocky or arrogant or saying, I go and dig holes so I feel better about myself. Why don't you? Right? <laughs> but, but when you do that to somebody even like beyond the immediacy of your own household, think of the effect that you can have, right? I mean, we're all, all, without a doubt, going through our own struggles. And I, don't, I, I think that if we're able to feel confident, and especially if we're starting with a heart that's genuine in the care of other people, kind of talking about the prescription per se, and encouraging people to go skin up a mountain in the middle of winter, even though there was every excuse under the sun. Yeah. Oh, right? It's nice and warm in the house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you felt good afterwards, but more importantly, everybody you went with felt good too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I think, of course, it's like one, it's important to make that encouragement to push people, but also in order to have like the authority to do so, you need to embody that and do it yourself. Yeah. And if you're, you know, living by example, then you actually have a foot to stand on and you're like, Hey, come do this. But when that person who you're encouraging knows that, you know, you would be doing this either way, you're going to be a kind of a, a, a model for them even when you're not there encouraging them, they'll be thinking about it, you know? And it kind of gets to something that Hayward talks to in here, which is just like the start is the thing he says to actually just do it. And it makes me think of a couple of people who I've worked with, um, years ago. Um, one is a, a guy who's been building for a long time and he's probably, He's like 15 years older than me. And then the other guy is about five years younger than me. And they could not be more opposite. The older guy is is a doer. Yeah. And you give him a task, and he's going to jump in, get his hands dirty, yeah. figure it out along the way. And then the other will sit there and think about it, him and haul over it for, I mean, a full day it feels like sometimes <laughs> before anything starts to get done. And I think that, and the guy, his name is Oscar, he, who the older guy, you know, he, he's a man of few words, but a silent leader and we'll, we'll do it. And I have learned so much about construction from this man. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, he's an inspiration to me when I'm getting stuck on something, um, you know, whether it be, I mean, primarily I'm talking about like a project of some kind. Two by fours. Two by fours, yes. <laughs> he's, he's, he told me to turn kilo for sure. <laughs> um, but to to just start doing it and you will figure it out. You know, and I'm not saying you're going to jump in and try to do like some super fine, you know, uh, task that requires like absolute patience. Like you don't figure stuff out on something like that, but... You know, you still get into it, and you do it, and you and you get your body moving, and that is how you find the flow. You That's don't just, the biggest hurdle, though. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the big, the, it's a huge mental hurdle yeah. for so many people. Whether, uh, whether it's a craft or a profession or trade or an exercise routine, that first step. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's tough. There's, there's sometimes when I'm alone in my shop and I'm thinking about a task or a, or a technique or something just way too much and I tell myself, like, just get it. Let's, let's start it. Let's get it done. Mm-hmm. Because it's a paralysis by analysis. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're sitting staring at a piece of wood for an hour and just thinking about it. You just got to pick it up and start cutting and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Little acts of self-conquest. Yeah. yeah. It's a quote from the... It's just what I think about, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're these own mental hurdles that that we as individuals are going through, Yeah. right? I mean, we've talked about the importance of encouraging others and receiving that encouragement too, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I, I say that I was and am thankful for all the encouragement from my spouse, but there are a lot of times that I gave a shiver and scowl and grunt and growl, as Rudyard would say it. Yeah. And I climbed out of bed with a frowsily head, despite the positive encouragement. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. Yeah. What you're telling me that I should do. Um, I think our. You know, Luke and I were both in the military, and I think that was something that that I really gained through through serving. Yeah, through ROTC. Mm-hmm. Remember field training when mm-hmm. just getting yelled at every day, mm-hmm. <laughs> every minute. So, yeah, so you can't you can't take that stuff personally and just no. Yeah, you just do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> just like all right, let's get up and do it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, can I be a little bit critical of Hayward here for a second? Mm-hmm. Um, after he talks about his prescription of digging holes and greatly perspiring, he's a little bit critical of children. And he, I'll just read the paragraph. Any active work with the hands will put us into a better trim once we can persuade ourselves to start. Interesting. The start is the thing. How often does one see children staring gloomily out the window and at the pouring rain, thoroughly bored and miserable, till a wise mother with a little coaxing gets them to settle down with some occupation like cutting out pictures, painting pictures, or making something, till finally they become so happily absorbed that they don't even know the sun comes out. I think children are better. I think, uh, yeah, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. I I think that this is more of an adult issue than children. Right. I think that children have... They're always finding something to do. They always find something to do. Like, when have you seen your kids? Never. Just staring out the window. Never. (laughs) Look at the rain. Never. (laughs) Yeah, boredom won't won't last that long for them. No. They have to fill fill their need with something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, I... I, I feel like <clears throat> perhaps that's, that's some projection mm. on Hayward's part. Yeah, that, that could be an issue he had with his own kids. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, certainly. Or just 
trying to justify his own yeah his feelings. own his own feelings yeah mm-hmm. or maybe a counterpoint to his his prescription to yeah. do things yeah and so I I really felt like that was unfairly critical of children when I read the entirety of The Camel's Hump as an Ugly Lump for the fact that Rudyard was so overt in him saying that this affects children and adults Mm -hmm. the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say it's... Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying in that... It's really not the children who have the problem, it's the adults who have the problem. And I'm talking about hurdles to starting. I think it's often um, the, the idea of not having the knowledge to begin can be really daunting to overcome. Mm-hmm. And when he, he says a little bit later... Um, that so he's referring to the craftsman and that he can exercise every bit of this skill and artistry in making something he can enjoy doing and take pr- a pride in with the certain knowledge that somewhere it is going to find a grateful welcome today we are also limited by high costs in our purchases of ready-made articles that the home worker has indeed come into his own and i thought that struck me, you know, we've talked quite a bit about convenience mm-hmm. on this podcast, mm-hmm. but, you know, the purchases of ready-made articles mm-hmm. that, you know, an individual has no idea how to make, you know, if we're talking about, you know, keeping it in, in the world of woodcraft, you know, it's like you can go to Ikea and buy a dining room table for $75 or whatever, <laughs> you know. It's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, so why would you, you know... <laughs> Take the time to learn how to join a bunch of wood together and make a table yourself. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, not only do you not have the knowledge, but you have the alternative so readily available mm-hmm. that it it, continue, it it even undermines further that ability to get started. And I think that, I think that that's, that's strictly, I mean, I guess I could see a parallel between children and adults in that regard like because I just had the conversation yesterday with my kid about I was we were drawing pictures together and he was like I like yours I want you to draw that for me and I was like well I don't know what I'm doing here I'm just drawing a forest monster right now <laughs> and then I was like I'm not going to draw you a forest monster you should be inspired by my forest monster and he was like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, I can't exactly remember my words, but it was something to the effect of, well, if you see something that you like, you can take that energy and and create your own thing with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so after a couple of minutes of kind of not being excited about it, he went back to his piece of paper and he drew an awesome forest monster. Right. You know, but I, I guess the parallel here is that he felt, I think, that he didn't have the skills to draw what he thought was perhaps a better monster that I was drawing. But after encouraging him to do it, he did it. Right. And then he was he was so excited about his forest monster, he slept with it. <laughs> Curled up next to his pillow. So awesome. he <laughs> sounds dangerous, but it's awesome at the same time. Maybe it's a protecting forest okay. monster. Okay, all right, yeah. fair. Yeah. 
So anyways, I think that there's a lot of obstacles in our way to start. Yeah. It can be. Right. But maybe as opposed to like pinning it on kids as an example of how we ought not to act, it's like, as I often do with my own kids, I see like inspiration in them and how they do keep themselves entertained or they do bounce back really quickly from being upset and then a minute later they're up and they're running around again or whatever, you know? Like there's so much more resilient than adults are, I think. Paul, I know you don't have kids, so I, yet. So I apologize if this conversation starts. No, it's fine. Going down the <laughs> children tangent, but I do have a question for you, Marty. Yeah. Would you say that your kids are better when they have a job to do? If you if you give give them a task. I think if they have a purpose and yeah. a goal. It does, it does uh, orient them yeah. in a, a bit more, mm, let's say, straighter path, yeah. I guess I'd say. Right. I think I know what you're getting at. I mean, I still think that it's good when they have nothing to do. And I just completely kind of like, agree. But, right. But yeah, if, I think they learn a lot more about themselves and what they're capable of mm-hmm. when they have a goal in mind that they may or may not think they can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And watching them accomplish that is is like one of the most thrilling things as a parent. Yeah. And I, I'm certainly not advocating for first off child labor or... Um, <laughs> Put those kids to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or, or that we should strip away like genuine, authentic children childhood yeah right but I mean there are times where I ask the boys to go do something like go stack some firewood or go pick some rocks out of the lawn because Mm -hmm. we've been shoveling every other day and there's a bunch of rocks in the lawn now (laughs) oh gosh right yeah and if you give them something that they want to especially work together and go do they're like Let's go do it. Yeah. They're, they feel empowered. It's something that they're excited about doing. And they can visibly and tangibly feel mm-hmm. the fruits of their labor. Yeah. I mean, the pride. You, yeah. I mean, the kids tend to just wear their emotions right on their sleeves. And, you know, when you can see that pride in them so clearly. And it's so satisfying, again, as a parent. But I think that translates into... Adults, mm-hmm. you know, when when you have a goal in mind that you may or may not think you can accomplish, and then you do it, it's like the pride out of that. I mean, that's what, you know, and this is the you know, most positive sense of pride there is, but, you know, accomplishing a goal is great. But kids, again, I think they just render everything so quickly. Um, it's a little more obscured with adults. I think my fear is that those opportunities are slipping away. Mm. And I, I... Like as an adult or for your kids? For children in general. Oh, okay. In this world. I think that a lot of it has to do with the rural to urban migration that yeah. has taken place over mm-hmm. the last yeah. several generations. I mean, at this point now, 
there have never been more people living in cities, mm-hmm. right? And just, again, I'm very much speaking in generalities. We live in a city here, I acknowledge. I grew up on a farm, a hobby farm. My wife grew up on a real farm, right? But there were not not only things to do, but real things to do that had real risk, real reward, real meaning, real responsibility. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> again, I'm not advocating for child labor. I'm just saying that having some of those experiences during formative years are important. And I suppose I'll tie it back to the idea of the spring tonic, right? You get that feeling of working hard and accomplishing something and feeling good about yourself. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's possible for children, too just like it is for you and me. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a big difference between child labor, especially in like, With, the, you doubt. know, extreme, you know, terrible sense of it. And let in, me just interrupt yeah. real quick, because on some of our social media, Sloyd experience stuff, yeah. internationally, there have been some, uh, actually a lot of comments from some other countries that have either said in our country this would be viewed as child labor or really? or this is child labor <laughs> having kids make, make wood, woodcraft yes. projects under yes. their own yes. desire yes really wow. yes wow so it's it's a real thing yeah. and i i think that here in the united states we especially in our generation are are distant from it Mm-hmm. In some of those mm-hmm. other countries, it's not so distant. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, it may be present. So, it may be understandable that yeah. that's what their reaction is. Right to it. Yeah, I can understand so, that. Yeah, I apologize yeah. to interrupt, but I want I wanted to. No, it's really interesting. I think it's really important to call out that you know everyone's ex- lived experience, yeah. especially in different countries, which you know. I'm not aware of at all, like what it's like totally. to grow up in other places. Uh, it, yeah, these definitions are variable. Yes. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, for the, for the purposes of our conversation, you know, going the extreme, the other route is, is very dangerous as well. Yeah. Where there's zero responsibility. The kids have nothing to do except, whatever they want as if that was like completely unguided you know and i think that sets people up for failure in a different way uh-huh. because they don't understand i mean not even because they, they they don't have like responsibility you know in a greater sense but i think more importantly like to what we're talking about is they don't necessarily get to feel the pride of doing something difficult having a goal set for them or setting a goal for themselves and accomplishing it. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to try to make growing up a hundred percent carefree, it's like going back to the very beginning of this conversation. You know, there's no <laughs> such thing as being happy all the time because the only way you define happiness is, is by those periods of unhappiness. Mm. And, and so it's, I think it's really important that 
the kids are are handed these difficult tasks, age appropriate, so that they can feel what they're capable of. Hmm. I'm jumping way ahead in the article, but the word happiness came up. Mm-hmm. The trouble is that we can only too easily be like the child staring out of the window at the rain, wishing desperately for the things we haven't got, while the means to our happiness are lying close at hand. And I think what he's getting at is that our means to our happiness are our hands. Hmm. Hmm. I think. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Be grateful for what you have and not what's out out there. And get out and do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, we are endowed with these magical things that are our hands and our bodies and just the ability to get out and do for our own I mean even if for a a selfish purpose of trying to achieve happiness Mm -hmm. I'm I'm good with that alright let's take this conversation in a little bit different direction ready Okay. I'm going to read a paragraph here. It sounds simple, this kind of prescription, but life is not so simple. This nag being, there are always easier relaxations to tempt us away from it in those jaded moments. The wireless, the cinema, books, and whatnot, all good in their way so long as they do not absorb the whole of our leisure. What do, you what, think? what do you think the wireless was? Back in I don't know. I I was. I it was wanted to TV. It's got to be a TV, right? Oh, or radio. TV probably. antennas. This was 1949. Yeah. They, they, the wireless is probably a radio. They didn't have TVs yet, did they? In 49. I I, don't, I think I think they were they were somewhere, but not like in every home. I think it was no. like the 50s. Right. So this is probably right before. Jeez, this is the wireless radio. They're cell phones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I know. When I saw wireless, <laughs> I thought the same thing. Yeah. But I, I didn't go down the rabbit hole of looking that one up. Um, I want to read the very next sentence because that's ahead. what I had underlined. Yeah. To do creative work means effort. And that is where we have to do our own bit of self-direction which comes easier to some than to others, but is essential to all. And I think, I think that is the key, and it's the distraction he references earlier is, is like the antithesis of this search for self-direction. Yeah. You know, I, I was, in fact, I was just like, well, somewhere on social media today, I saw this video, and I think it was like... TikTok? And, <laughs> this was actually Instagram, I think. Um, but it was a guy, I think it was um, an ad for a something about mental health. Um, but this guy was talking about how he feels completely unfulfilled in his job. And, you know, if he takes one more step, it's like he's going to fall into a hole. And he just wants somebody to tell him what to do. Wow. And that struck me because... You know, there have certainly been times in my life and continue to be at moments where I wish there was a manual or somebody who could just say, 
this is the decision you need to make right now. And obviously, that's not how it works. But, you know, I think, I think that is something that is harder than ever to, with, with so much distraction out there, as well as so many conveniences out there for people to find their own sense of like self-worth and what they're doing. And, and I think, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the crux of it all. So there are a couple things that you said that resonated with me and Paul, you can probably relate. <clears throat> you and I were both in the military and the military makes some pretty big decisions for you. For example, oh, yeah. what your job is going to be, <laughs> where you're going to move. You're going to mine at North Dakota. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, ta- it takes a lot of the big decision-making out of your control. Yeah. A lot of people end up kind of liking that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have to stress about it. And then they do have the manual, per se. Yeah. This is what you're going to do. Yeah. But for me, that was the opposite of freedom. Like, I could relate, though. I mean, there were there were times where I found solace and satisfaction in the fact that I didn't have to think too hard about major life decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, on the immediate other hand, I developed a kind of a, a jaded demeanor of why why can't I do what I want with mm-hmm. my life right you know yeah that's very interesting I it makes me think of something I read uh, I really like this author Mark Manson he wrote the book The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck oh, nice. if you guys have heard of that no, I mean, I've heard of it I haven't yeah, read it yet it's great um, and I actually spent talk about that book for another reason but what I'm thinking about um, now is is him talking about um, in the 20th century the people that made it and that were rewarded were those who fell in line basically it was like he used the word, I, think, I believe, convention. So it was, yeah. you go to work at a corporation. Right. You follow the rules. That company will take care of you. You will get your pension. You will be, taken, you will be good. And 21st century is the exact opposite. It is, and the word he used was curiosity, which we've certainly discussed here. But uh-huh. it's about those that are successful now are those who break the mold, who ask the questions, why, why, right. why are we doing it like this? I'm going to choose my own path here. I'm going to break the mold. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so true um, in the people that I see, and that I think that the you know the word disruption is so yeah. you know popular and and like lauded these days. Yeah, and I think that really it really shows a major shift. Um, and then to just throw one more quote out there uh, on this point, it's uh, Hunter S. Thompson uh, in a letter to a friend 
um, who was asking him like what he should do with his life. Hunter S. Thompson said you know, a whole bunch of stuff, but in the end it was, you need to choose the circumstances of your life or the circumstances will choose your life for you. And that's always stuck with me as well. Mm. Yeah, it's a good quote. You know, if you're going to let life just push you around, then you don't have the agency to choose the life you want. You're beholden to that. And, uh, and so that's, that's the, the, the risk of, of having somebody tell you what to do, is it's not your choice. And if you give up your choice, well, then you can't be mad when the life you have is not yours. But what if they're telling me to go exercise? <laughs> well, you probably should. <laughs> I probably should. I'm just saying, thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one thing I wanted to um, talk about uh, because I think it's something that I've experienced recently at my house, which is and and it's kind of in the vein of spring cleaning doing these things that we do in preparation for longer brighter warmer days um you know working on the house is is a pain in the ass i think there's this old yiddish proverb that the house is a thief it steals all your time and money which is true it's very true but um i will say that it is a working on your house can be the gift that keeps on giving and as an example uh, we recently painted an accent wall in our bedroom a nice dark charcoal and it uh it looks great it completely changed the the feel of the room and everything um, and although I spent you know a couple of nights on a weekend prepping and painting it I still look at that wall and I feel pretty damn good about it, you know? And it's like, we work on our house, we do stuff, and it's there's a pride. It goes back to that pride, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it's not the first choice. You might want to just go play with your friends or exercise or whatever, but... Well, and I'd argue, too, that while you're doing it, it's a pain. Yeah. Yeah. But that sense of pride and satisfaction mm -hmm. that you get afterwards... There's nothing that can touch it. No. And it's similar to that exercise, too. Even while you're exercising. Yeah. It's a pain. Mm -hmm. But when you finish, I'm on top of the world. Yeah, it's right? a feeling. Mm -hmm. you know so about, that, that hurdle of starting yeah. is yeah. hard. Then there's the hurdle of while you're actually doing it, mm -hmm. that's hard. But not until you get across that finish line do you get that, that real sense of... I don't think that satisfaction is even the right word. It's something deeper. It sort of carries you, you know, and it, and it was like, I can look to just the physicality of it. I can look at things I've done on my house, whether it's installing like a floating shelf or painting this wall or doing some carpentry or whatever. And, you know, it's something that I look at not every single time I pass by this thing, I look at it, but when I do, I can still remember, and it's like that, that sense of accomplishment of actually like doing something. Totally. Is, is great, you know? And like, yeah, there's plenty of times I want to just hire shit out and have somebody come do something, mm -hmm. and that's fine too. But you never will get the pride from like, 
giving somebody your money to do something on your house that you'll get out of having done it yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I might be ruffling some feathers of listeners here, but I think that you as a parent setting that example to the children in your house is something that's really important too. Mm. Because even if they don't or are unable to fully partake in what you're doing to maintain your home. Yeah. They're watching. They are watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really <clears throat> meaningful. I think that's heavy. Um, let's talk about one more thing, and then maybe we should wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read another paragraph. There's no doubt that the modern life with the shocks and alarms it is liable to bring to the breakfast table with our morning newspaper. Do you guys get the newspaper? Not anymore. I don't either. (laughs) Does tend to make escapists of us all. We feel we need cheerful distraction and the distractions are there. All about us waiting to be used. It needs experience to teach us that the fullest, richest, and most absolute distraction is to be found in a good job of creative work. The man absorbed in a handicraft becomes oblivious to all else. And um, some of the questions I started asking myself I can't find the. Uh, While you're looking, I'll make a comment. Go on ahead. That. I think it's all about presence, which. Yeah, yeah. Being present in what you're doing, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, that lets all the distractions fall away. There was this um, this Russian flooring installer that I've worked with for years who told me we were talking about camping or something, and. And I was like, you know, I can just stare at a fire all night long. And uh, and then mentioned like how a river watching like moving water has a similar effect. You can just sit there and watch like the riffles or the rapids, I feel like, endlessly. And he was like, there's one more thing you're forgetting. And I'm like, what's that? He said, well, you can watch a man at work all day long, too. And... I don't think he was just making a joke because I'm the project manager and all I do is watch people actually work. Uh, I think I think he was speaking to the fact that when something is fully happening in the moment, you know, fire is fully in the moment, moving mm-hmm. water is yeah. fully in the moment. Yeah, a craftsman or woman working, truly working, is fully in the moment. I think they elicit the same sort of natural response um, from an observer. Thanks for filling in while I was looking through my notes. Oh, it's like those yeah. ASMR videos on oh, the yeah. internet. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen those? Like I have. Someone building, doing leather craft and building a wall or something. Yeah. You hear all those sounds. And yeah. There's just no no talking, yeah. just work. It's pretty meditative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. I never thought about ASMR as like a presence thing, but I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What's ASMR? I can't remember the acronym, what it stands for. It's like, basically it's sounds that affect you in a mental way well 
Maybe, yeah. maybe we'll talk some more about ASMR in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do some more. Yeah. yeah. We could drop some clips. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, where I was going with that, the idea of us wanting to become escapists based off of headlines, right? Yeah. And there's a growing thing that's going on where the headlines are intentional to become clickbait because they I hate it right and it's it's the worst headlines possible Mm -hmm. and it's increasing stress it's increasing anxiety it's increasing depression it's increasing mental health issues and it's all in the name of clicks because that's the stuff that really tends to go viral yeah and hey we're here 1949 they're just coming out of World War Two. Mm-hmm. Think about their headlines. Right, yeah. the headline I saw today involved a U.S. drone mm, yeah. and a Russian fighter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I heard about that. And I mean, without a doubt, it's alarming, mm-hmm. right? And it yeah. makes you want to go somewhere else where you're not going to think about any of that stuff that's in your sphere of interest. Go back to your sphere of control, right? For me, my sphere of control is a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that I can take my mind off of things. Because things... This world is messy, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Our lives are messy, without a doubt. But having, having a mindful distraction as opposed to a mindless distraction... It's so critical. That's it right there. Mm-hmm. It's so critical. I, I I have an addiction to my phone. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I will scroll through stuff. I will get encouragement from my better half to stop scrolling through stuff. And I'll do the same for her. Yeah. But when I'm in a project... I don't have an ounce of wanting to look at my phone. Mm-hmm. Like I am so deep into the nuances, right? Even if I'm overthinking something, yeah, I'm okay with that. Right. Like I, I'm satisfied with that. And and that's then, kind of an interesting, excuse me, marker. I think you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of lack of clarity on what maybe makes people present or what you know it's like well, tell me what to do yeah. you know people want that well maybe maybe pay attention to how much you want to be distracted and like when when you find those distractions falling away when you're not thinking about your phone for an hour two hours more well i think that says a lot right there yeah. is that you found something that's superseding these these distractions that are everywhere and an awareness Cultivating awareness will allow you to find that mindfulness. Average American spends close to eight hours a day on a screen. Oh my god! Hmm. I'm happy to say I'm not there. Yeah, me too. And, but isn't that nuts? Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. I, I mean, for the three of us, it's it's hard for us to even believe yeah. that that, and that's average. average. Hmm. Jesus. I mean, because there are literally people who are sit at their desk for. 
eight, nine, ten yeah. hours working and then go watch TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that also is setting an example. Yep. Sorry to end on the kind of a sour note there. <laughs> Unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about, we can kind of wrap this one up. I'm gonna I'm gonna end this yeah, one. Yeah, go ahead. The last couple sentences here it says, "For the sight of a pleasant piece of furniture is a tonic to anyone these days, and either in our own home or somebody else's, it is going to add a gracious, cheering touch." Cool. And I like that quote because. I'm always preaching that having fine quality furniture in your home is just improving your life, and especially if you make it yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and, it, and just, it, it gives a good it gives a good aura in the home. And and more so when he says too, whether it's in your own home or somebody else's, I, I think that's a hundred percent true. When people come in, they notice. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they notice, and and even though it's so easy for us to say that, I don't mean this could be debated. It really could be debated because when people come in and see IKEA all day, every day, everywhere, it's hard for them to have the appreciation, I suppose, for I, craftsmanship the way that I think people still. Can still tell. I think I think they can. Yeah. I still don't think that they have the full appreciation right. for what for how much goes into for it. what goes yeah. into that. Yeah. That and maybe it's not a conscious appreciation, but you go in and I'm sure you see a piece of your work, Paul, and it's like there is so much craft and care and attention that went into this. Like anybody can notice like well made things. You know, I think even if it's not. Uh, a very conscious, you know, knowing. Yeah. It's still, it, it emanates mm-hmm. from this inanimate object. You know, it's there. And and I don't think that's something that can be, you know, it, it lives within, it's a consciousness to quote, like Alan Watts, if you've heard that, like British guy, he kind of like popularized Eastern thinking. Um, in a, in a wider context, but he talks about like consciousness and inanimate objects, and he always is like ringing this bell, at and in his lectures he's like that is a, a basic form of consciousness. It's the ringing, of it, and so, I'm just thinking about these objects like, huh. they have, a a consciousness so to speak, that emanates in the room, an energy that comes into the room, yeah, that you can appreciate, no matter if you know it or not, right. I like to think, though, that it's tied to the human touch, more more than, so than that object itself. Mm-hmm. That the intention, the person who crafted that, yeah, and developed their skill over years, right through books, through trial, through mm-hmm. error, through all of the things that it took for them to get to that point. I like to hope and think that that ends up becoming the tonic that is appreciated. Yeah. Now, I like that he ended this with that word tonic, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably similar to me when you hear tonic. What do you think of? Tonic water. Yes. <laughs> That's what I think of. Uh-huh. Tonic water. Right. Right? 
The definition of tonic is one that invigorates, invigorates, restores, refreshes, or stimulates. Mm. Right? I think about a champagne bottle. Have you guys ever done the Sabre? Mm, I haven't yeah. tried that. Have no. you tried it, Martin? I, I don't have a Sabre. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll do that <laughs> next time that we record. All right. We'll yeah. get a bottle of champagne. I'll show you guys how to do it. In your dining room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Total <laughs> tangent. Total tangent. I used to brew some beer. I was never really good at it. Yeah. And I could never get the carbonation right. Mm. Ever. Some were undercarbonated. Some were over carbonated like beyond belief okay so we had this one and it was it's a flip top mm, yeah and as soon as I flipped it I was sitting right where you are Marty <laughs> and it was just <laughs> everywhere 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 <laughs> And my immediate response was, science was plug it with my thumb. <laughs> no, I just shot and it. And it shot it straight in Allison and across the room. Everywhere. Everywhere. It's right? Like your thumb on a garden hose. Oh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So that was a tonic. Yeah. That was a tonic. Extra tonic. And <clears throat> that's the kind of thing, though, whether it's furniture, whether it's exercise, whether it's a walk, whether it's riding our bike right it's some form of doing mm -hmm. to get us out of those dumps that we are all susceptible to and i think that yeah that's what we need to strive for motivate and encourage each other for get moving boom mm -hmm. all right till next time next time